Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to help you bring more of heaven into your world today. Fulfilling the words of Jesus when he taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I used to live in Europe. I don't know if I told you that before, but... Um, I lived in Belgium for a year, and then I lived in Austria for a year when I was playing basketball, and I, I lived about three hours from Paris, so I used to go to Paris just about every weekend. That was a real advantage that I had. It was cool. I loved that city, but I always wanted to get uh, to Normandy. I never was able to get to Normandy, but I was always a giant World War II fan and, uh, of history, that is. World War, I was a fan of war. No. <laughs> history of World War II and studying about it, but I, I was never able actually to get all the way over there. But if you know anything about the history of World War II, particularly the beginnings of that war and what happened is Germany was rising up very quickly and it was kind of like people were just ignoring it. And, and maybe if we, if we ignore them long enough or give them a little couple of things like Czechoslovakia, um, maybe they'll just be appeased and they won't keep pestering everybody. So let's, they're causing some trouble, but let's just give them what they want and keep to ourselves and maybe they'll keep to themselves. But, you know, the Nazis had this insatiable appetite. They wanted more and more and more. So soon they invaded Poland and we kind of went, uh-oh, maybe we shouldn't have given them Czechoslovakia because now they've taken Poland. And pretty soon they attack France. And there is a presence in France of British soldiers that's there that have been there since the end of World War I but because of the plan that the Nazis had, which was to overtake all of Europe as quickly as they possibly could, they overran France so quickly, there was not enough of a force there to respond to it. And so what happened is all of these British troops got boxed into this little corner of a town called Dunkirk. Has anybody ever seen the movie Dunkirk? Boy, is that, if you mute that movie, it's so easy to watch. But there's something about the volume of that movie. It just kind of vibrates at you the whole time. It's amazing. But it's a pretty tense movie to watch. But what happened in Dunkirk is the enemy had blitzed all the way through France, boxed in the Allied forces there, the British, and all they were doing was waiting to get rescued from this little town called Dunkirk because if the Germans overtook Dunkirk, the British army was done. That was pretty much their main force, but they were so not ready for the onslaught of the enemy. They were sitting in this small town on a wide open beach, getting strafed by enemy planes and bombed, waiting to get rescued. But the British Navy wasn't prepared for this. They got overwhelmed. And so the, as the story goes in the movie, you'll see they enlist fishing boats and these brave people from England just said, Any, anything you got, bring it over and let's get rescued. But I was thinking about these people sitting on this beach in Dunkirk thinking, we thought we had it good, but the enemy hit us so hard. Would somebody please just come rescue us? We are exposed. We are naked. We are afraid. And we need somebody to rescue us. If I can just survive long enough for somebody to take me out of this place and back to the freedom of England, that's what we need. And it really affected the psyche of the British for the war. They didn't believe that Germany could come in so quick, and they walked back a little bit wounded thinking, oh my gosh, what do we do now? And it wasn't until 1941, actually June, sorry, 1944, sorry, June 6, 1944, 
the allies finally got a plan together that we can't just sit here on our own little island and hope that Germany doesn't take England as well. But we need a plan to take back what was once stolen. And so that's what we know now as D-Day, which was the landing on Normandy, which is why I wanted to visit Normandy, where there was all this planning that went in to invading France again to take it back. But the Allied forces landed at Normandy, and there on, on Utah and Omaha Beach, two famous beaches in this place, they established a beachhead. At much loss of life, they established a beachhead. They kicked the enemy out of that very first spot, and they said, we now have taken back that place that was stolen from us. They established a beachhead and said, we are not moving from this place. But the purpose of Normandy was not to establish a beachhead and just have Normandy. The purpose was to provide a place where every last bit of the Allied forces could go from Normandy and take back France and the rest of Europe from the Nazis. And that's exactly what happened. In a relatively short period of time, it took four years to get to the place to land at Normandy, but less than a year to get to Berlin to eventually take back everything that was stolen. Why am I giving you a brief synopsis of World War II history that my dad will probably correct all the details for me later on at the end of this service? It's because I think for too long, the church has lived with a Dunkirk mentality. For some reason, we feel like our role here on the earth is to provide a barrier because the enemy has taken back so much from us. We need to establish a protective realm, try not to get strafed by the attacks of the devil, and wait for Jesus to come take us to heaven. If we just gather together in our safety of our walls and our church buildings and our stained glass windows and the comfort of the air conditioner and the songs that we like and the preacher that we like that week and the prayer group that we like to pray for, if we can stay there long enough, maybe we can avoid the strafings of the enemy. Maybe we can avoid sickness. Maybe we can avoid unemployment or a lack of friends and all those things that we feel like the enemy attacks us on long enough that Jesus can come back and take us into heaven. And we feel like that's the role of the church. I know not here, but that's one of the sicknesses that I've seen in the church. We keep having this Dunkirk mentality. Just survive long enough that Jesus can come and take us to heaven. But the church isn't meant to live that way because we're not supposed to live as a Dunkirk place, but a Normandy place. When Jesus came to this earth, when he became as small as a human seed, when God came to Bethlehem and deposited himself inside the womb of Mary, that was not a time to come take us to heaven. That was the moment when heaven came to us. And Bethlehem was not the end. Bethlehem was the Normandy moment. They established a beachhead once and forever where the kingdom of heaven had come to us. It didn't come like we thought it would come. It didn't look like we thought it would look, but it established a beachhead from where all of us moved out forward and took back the ground where the enemy had stolen. We're not meant to live in a place of just surviving the strafings of the enemy. But we are that beachhead established in the world. 
And the kingdom of God is not meant to build walls to keep the enemy out. It is meant to move forward into the enemy's territory to refuse to be victims of his attack and to start inflicting on him that which he has tried to afflict upon us. We are a Normandy church, not a Dunkirk church. And I want you to understand this. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 on the screens right now. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus made something very clear. And that is that the main theme of the Bible is not to get us into heaven, but it's to get heaven into us. You see, it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus did not teach us to pray. God, come save us. Lord, come quickly. I can't take anymore. Get us to heaven as soon as you can. He says, no, you pray. God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I know that you've heard this before, but I think somehow we've, it's easy to miss this and we think just survive. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be broke. I'm supposed to be hurting. This is supposed to stink, but one day Jesus will come back and maybe somewhere along the ground, I'll take one person with me. They can come into my little miserable huddle of of Christians who are just waiting for Jesus to come back. Because how appealing is that? No. God's intention for us is to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is the first verse of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You come here. Come on. Bring more of heaven to us. We're not waiting for you to bring us to heaven. We're waiting for you to bring more of your kingdom here. That's the main theme of the Bible. And Jesus coming to earth was heaven coming to earth. It was heaven coming to us. Man, can you understand what God has given us? You see, when God created the earth, in reality, The earth was just an extension of heaven. See, the earth wasn't created as this grand experiment of imperfection. Let's see how bad they can get it, and then I'll come in and rescue them. When God created earth, he created it as an extension of heaven. He created a place called Eden, this garden that was perfect. You didn't have to farm. There was no mosquitoes. Or maybe there were mosquitoes that they didn't bite. I don't know where that is. I still think mosquitoes are a part of the fall. So no mosquitoes. No, like the weather was perfect. You didn't have to work. Do you know why God created earth? He just created it as a place for his kids to enjoy. The purpose of earth's creation was for our enjoyment. Can you imagine a place That God just says, I created all of this just so that you would enjoy it. And what father would create for their kids a place to enjoy that's filled 
with pain. No father does that. I don't go out of my backyard and build some playground set with my kids with like a spiked razor blade slide and an acid pool. That's What father does that? God didn't create heaven with pain in it. He created it, sorry, earth with pain in it. He created it as an extension of heaven. We brought pain in when we disobeyed him and chose to live life our own way. But even when you look at Jesus' ministry, he came to the earth bringing heaven to earth, but he demonstrated this through his own ministry. He healed the sick. He drove out demons. He forgave sins. Jesus brought heaven with him. He showed that he can change us from the inside out. He brought dead things to life, including his own body. He caused the lame to walk. This is a symbol that heaven had come to us. He is the light piercing the darkness, driving the dark of doubt away. He's the restorer of children's hearts back to their mothers and their fathers. He's the alpha and the omega. He is at the end, not your enemy. He sets captives free. He leads prisoners free. He doesn't just open prison doors, but he breaks whole prisons. And he who spoke worlds into being speaks to us in a gentle whisper as a loving father. This was heaven coming to us. And I pray that we really get this into our spirit. You're going to see why in a moment. Because just like Normandy, if those soldiers just stayed on the beaches of Normandy, eventually the enemy would have regrouped and taken it back. The only way for them to get victory is to move from Normandy all the way to Berlin, the very center of where the enemy was. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 47, Liam will have a look at Ezekiel 47. We read this the other day. But when Jesus came to this earth, he actually fulfilled this verse in Ezekiel chapter 47. In the Bible, <laughs> on the screens, not on Minecraft. Ezekiel 47, there we go. Ezekiel 47, verse 6. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. This is a vision that Ezekiel got. Next verse. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Where the river flows, everything will live. Now, this doesn't make sense because if you know anything about salty water, fresh water coming into salty water can make it fresher, but it can't make it fresh. There will always be some measure of salt in it. Just like that, whenever something is impure, enters a place that's pure, the purity does not make the impurity pure. It makes what was once pure now impure. Did you follow all that? That's a lot of pure. But Jesus was different. You see, if I prayed for somebody or if I 
lived in that day, and I touched somebody with leprosy, which was like all kinds of infectious skin diseases, you know what would happen? I'd get leprosy. When I touched them, their leprosy would come on to me. So they forced lepers to the outer edges of the town, and they lived in leper colonies together because they all already had it together. And there was no way for that leper to engage back into society unless by some odd miracle, God healed them and their leprosy was gone. But that didn't happen very often. But Jesus touched people with leprosy. Can I tell you that one moment freaked people out? To touch somebody with leprosy. Do you remember when AIDS first came out and people were so afraid? When I tried out for the Lakers, I played with them for about three weeks and I had to guard Magic Johnson. And this was at the time before we knew much about HIV and he was HIV positive. And all I'm thinking of is please don't sweat on me or bleed on me. And oh my gosh, I'm guarding Magic Johnson. And he just scored 32 points on me in one half. And he's like 90 and he has AIDS. And he just killed me on the basketball court. This is ridiculous, right? But I remember that feeling of, you know, we've learned much more about HIV since then. But I thought, that's a crazy thought for me to have. But I was concerned that if I touched somebody that had a disease, I would get it. But Jesus touched people. You know, one of the most biggest things that affected the whole how we treat HIV patients was when Princess Diana would hold HIV positive babies and people are like, <gasps> and it broke in people. They just went, oh, we can do that. Okay. Right? Like that, Jesus would touch people with leprosy. But Jesus never got leprosy. <laughs> because when the pure touched what was impure, his purity made them pure. That is nothing that any medicine in this world can do. But when the kingdom of heaven has come to you, then what you touch that is impure is made pure. Can you see this? The fulfillment of this Ezekiel 47 verse, where the river flows, everything will live, was embodied in the person of Jesus. When he hung on the cross and his blood flowed from the cross, that blood is that river. And when it flows to us, it makes what was impure in us now pure. Our hearts have been made new. So we can sing songs and go, you make everything new. It's because this river is fulfilled in his blood, which when it flows through us, it washes away sin. It washes away sickness. It washes away pain. That blood now becomes a part of our DNA and we're welcomed into his family. And then we meet our brothers and our sisters together who have the same blood flowing inside of them. And instead of gathering in leper colonies, celebrating and talking about how bad our lives are because, well, you got to hear what happened to me. You think your story is bad? Listen to how about how they mistreated me. No, we're no longer in the leper colony because that blood has flown from us and the river has made everything live in us. So we gather together to celebrate. I am free. I am new. There are streams of living water flowing from me. So let's stop sitting in our own little group and let's take what's in us to more impure places. 
Let's go find some salty places. Let's go find some dry places. Let's go from Normandy because we're taking Berlin. That's the way God's designed for us to live. We have this anointing. This is in us. This isn't just waiting for Jesus to come do everything. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples, as you go, what does he say? Does he say if? No. Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message. Now he's speaking to his disciples. By the way, you are his disciples. I am his disciples. Don't don't read this and go, this is for the special 12. The same anointing that's on the disciples is on us. Okay, do you get that? As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now I can imagine these disciples... The whole three years that they've been with Jesus in ministry, their minds are just blown every time. They see him doing all these things, raising the dead. They see him touching people with leprosy, and they're like, man, that's, I, I don't know that I'd go there. That's, that's pretty bold, right? And they see these great miracles happen. There'd be that temptation to just sick Jesus on them all the time. Hey, Jesus, come on. We got some more stuff for you to do. Hey, Jesus. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. As you go. As you go, tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you know why the kingdom of heaven has come near? you know why they can declare it? Do you know why these disciples can say the kingdom of heaven has come near? They're not talking just about Bethlehem. They're talking about because they went. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven comes near. So that every single time I come up to somebody who does not yet know Jesus and they've got a knee that doesn't work, I can bring that living water to them and I can pray for that knee and see it healed and the kingdom has come near. Because every time blind eyes get open, every time bodies get healed, Every time demons are cast out of people, which is a very real thing, the kingdom has come near. And that anointing is on every single one of us. Every one of us have that anointing. Can I tell you about another beachhead moment? In 1607... There was three ships that came over from England. Some of them were full of adventurers trying to look for a new life. Some of them were just bored, stuck in England and kind of a class system that meant their lives weren't really going to come very much. Some of them were just in debt and they're looking for a way to get out, looking for a new place, a new life. They traveled over across the Atlantic Ocean and they landed right here in Virginia Beach at a place called Cape Henry. And there was a certain man, now you talk about being able to sell something. His name was Robert Hunt. He was a reverend. He was a pastor. 
And he convinced them on these little teeny boats, they weren't very big, to take over this giant wooden cross with them on this boat. Now, you imagine space is at a premium if you're crossing the Atlantic Ocean in a boat that's really no bigger from this pew to that pew. That's, it looks big, but not when you're crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And somehow he's like, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's bring a giant wooden cross over. It probably means less rum. It probably means less food. But let's bring over a giant wooden cross. Those are some powers of persuasion right there. Somehow Hunt convinced them to let him carry this cross all the way over here because Hunt had something in mind. And when they landed at Cape Henry, it was the first place where they had landed, where these English people had landed on what then became American soil. And as the first act that they did, they came and got this cross off the boat. And you can imagine them all looking at Hunt going, okay, so now we're going to figure out why this guy finally brought this giant wooden cross over here. Like, can we sacrifice him on it right now? Because someone has had to sleep next to this thing all the way over here. And he climbs the dunes at Cape Henry, and he finds just the right spot, just a few hundred meters from where we did our baptisms on Friday night. And he plants this cross in the dune, and this is what he says. From these very shores, the gospel shall go forth, not only to this world, but to the entire world. From the very shores, the gospel shall go forth to not only this new world, but to the entire world. And then they got back in their boats, and they sailed up to Jamestown and had the first permanent English settlement in the new world in that place. Now, you've read in your history books about how this was an establishment that led to the colonies and led to a political system, the Revolutionary War, where unlike Australia, we finally got our freedom from the Great Britain. <laughs> but can I tell you that that was a beachhead just like Normandy for this city? And I believe that we are just beginning to see the fulfillment of what I believe was a prophetic word that Reverend Hunt had back in 1607. It's not just about Seashore Church, but it's about what God's doing in our nation from this place. Or spiritually speaking, this has been and will become even more a beachhead moment from where the Spirit of God will come in such a powerful and unique way that what happens here cannot stay here. And not only this new world west of us, which is no longer new to us, but from the whole world, God's kingdom has come. And it's going to expand and affect the nations. And this is the reason why Romy and I are here in this city. It's not because I grew up in Virginia Beach. It's not because my family lives around the corner from me. Those are fringe benefits. But it's because God has a plan for this city. And God has a plan geographically for this area. That's going to happen and is happening right now. So not only is it happening in our world that when you go to pray for somebody at work, the kingdom has come to them, but we believe very firmly that what's happening in our church today and in churches like the Foots Church where they pastor and other churches in this area that are open to receiving what God is pouring out will go from here and will affect the nations. This is a beachhead moment, but not for us to just stay here 
and celebrate. It's for us to move from here and take back ground that the enemy has stolen, families that he's stolen, mothers, or, or sorry, sons and daughters that have walked away from their families. What's going to bring them back is not a great Thanksgiving dinner. What's going to bring them back is when mom and dad fully surrender their hearts to God and begin to pray for their kids, not pray that God would straighten them out, but that God would visit them in their night season. That just like that moment when the prodigal son was longing for the pods that the pigs were eating, the Bible says he woke up to himself and goes, what am I doing here? My dad has all this stuff. If I just went back to my father's house, it's when we as parents begin to pray for our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids to have encounter moments with God like that prodigal son had. That father did not chase his kids down, but when they came, he ran to meet them at the end of the road. I pray for encounters with our kids like that prodigal son had. That's what's going to reunite our families. So as we close tonight, I want to ask you a question. If we understood that God's plan was to bring heaven to earth, don't get me wrong, when you die, you go to heaven, and there's a new heaven, a new earth that's coming anyway. So this isn't the only expression of heaven. It gets a lot, a lot better. But if we understood that God's intention was not to get us to heaven, but was to get heaven to earth, how would it change how we live now? How would I live life differently if I stopped waiting for Jesus to take me away and began to realize that I have an anointing to bring the kingdom everywhere that I go? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, talking about John the Baptist. And it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come, past tense, has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Let me tell you, John the Baptist was not preparing us to go to heaven. He's making straight paths for heaven to come here. Do you see the difference? That's what he was preparing people to do. And every time we pray for healing, for salvation and deliverance, we bring heaven to earth. I would say that if I was really living this way, I'd probably stop waiting for heaven to take me away and I'd start bringing more of heaven into my world. I would. The other thing I would do is I would not let anything inhibit the purity of the river that's flowing through me. That's why we preach so much on forgiveness and repentance. Because if I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven where I go, the vessel God chooses is me. I would not choose me as the vessel. I know what this guy thinks about sometimes. But he chooses to use me. But he makes the impure pure. So if I would surrender those areas of my heart that muddy the waters a little bit, and when I have sin in my life, if I actually repent of that thing, or if someone's wronged me and I realize that's attached something to my heart because I've got this unforgiveness, if I just choose to forgive, then when the river flows, it doesn't stick. It's like, it, it's like Drano for your heart. It just flushes everything out, and what comes out is pure again. 
If I understood that the calling on my life was to bring heaven to earth, I would make sure that me as the vessel is as pure as I can be. And me as the vessel isn't pure because I preach good. It isn't pure because I do the right things. It's pure because when the Holy Spirit reveals an area of my heart that has not yet been surrendered or that I surrendered last week, but I took it back, I respond to it and go, God, I give this thing to you again. It's like that prayer moment we just had. If the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I need to go to that place in my shed and throw away those orthotics because it's an identification with my past, that doesn't make sense to me. I was never planning on using them again, but God showed it to me, so I'm going to respond to it. I don't have to know why. I don't have to have the full explanation. I just know the Holy Spirit revealed something to me, and I just got to go do it. When we do that, we become clean vessels you don't have to know why. I've got three, two, two and a half teenagers in my house, and why is a constant question right now. And you know what I tell them as their dad? You don't have to know why. You just got to do it. And when you do, the blessing of the Lord will come upon your life. And if you don't, life gets much more difficult. Amen?